KMCHD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston, and on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Could the world, or at least the ubiquitous life as we know it, end at any time? What threats do we actually face? Did the Mayans actually do us a favor? Hello there, and welcome to the 412th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And our first live show of Lucky 13. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I'm Ben, and those probing questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So are you sick to death about uh, sick to death of talking about the Mayan prophecy? Well, I am. 2012 is over, and we're still here, I think. Uh, but not so fast. There could be things going on under our noses or outside our knowledge that could still prove them and others to be right. Well, as any experienced listener knows, we seldom have fiction writers on this show unless they are experts in what they're fictionalizing. David E. Stevens is a former Navy commander and F-18 fighter pilot, a self-professed, quote, adrenaline junkie, unquote, who loves science and technology. He holds engineering degrees from Cornell University and the University of Michigan with graduate work in human factors and astrophysics. During the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait, Dave served as the Navy strike operations officer for the Persian Gulf. He also tested, I should say, test piloted new fighters, received an aviation patent, and won a top-secret clearance, uh, led classified defense programs, and and more. Uh, Dave wrote uh, the Resurrect Trilogy and is the author of the uh, only, quote, only science-based apocalyptic metaphysical techno-thriller in existence by creating a story that takes the reader on an adventure that unfortunately could become only too real, unquote. And I wanted to mention, too, that... uh, Resurrect is a Colorado Gold finalist for Best Action Thriller of the Year. Sounds cool. Unfortunately, we didn't receive it, so I'm at a bit of a disadvantage. But go ahead, Ben. All right. Oh, you're going to say his website? Oh, yeah, of course. I'm sorry. Uh, www. uh, The 3W thing. Resurrecttrilogy.com. Resurrect Trilogy, one word. We'll talk about the site, too, later on. So, David Stevens, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, it's a pleasure to have you. So before we start, I see that you did graduate work in human factors. Is that as interesting as it sounds? <laughs> uh, it's very interesting. I found that uh, um, I had an interest not just in the, the physics and the engineering side, but, but the human side. I think some of that happens as you, as us engineers grow older. Well, we're all doing that. <laughs> so the human, the human side. So, so what do you mean? Give, give some sort of examples. I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer kind of question, but... It's, it's really the interface between um, machinery, uh, technology, and, and, and people. Um, and I was actually working on, that was when I was working on the patent. Um, I had a, a close friend who died in a crash. And oh, sorry, at some, some point I, I decided to uh, um, <clears throat> try to figure out if there's something I could do about it. it turns out about half of all uh, tactical jet fatalities are just pilots basically flying into the ground, almost, almost 50%. And I realized, and I had a couple close calls myself, so I thought there's got to be a way to to basically scare a pilot, uh, maybe via the subconscious. So I developed something called a virtual horizon altitude warning system. 
Um, but to do that, I, I, I had the engineering side, but I didn't have the human side. So to me, that was a fascinating study. Oh, uh, okay. All right. I see what you're talking Very about. Very sensible. Here. Yeah, that's actually, wow. It's really practical. So on your website, you list eight different scenarios for global apocalypse and how likely they are. So can you review those for us, please? Certainly. Um, and, you know, I, I use something called probabilistic risk analysis, which is uh, impressive sounding, but uh, it's really the same science that our uh, insurance companies use to figure out our premiums. Right. Uh, it, it, re <laughs> it just looks at, uh, at two things. It looks at probability, you know, the odds that something is going to happen, something bad in this case, and then the consequence, you know, how bad could it be? Um, <clears throat> when I put that together, and of course, I pulled in everything I could think of, well, short of maybe the zombie apocalypse, but... Uh, <laughs> Everything that we had, at least some reasonable amount of, of statistical probability, and most of them you could pretty much discount. The probability w was so small that it wasn't worth considering, or the the consequences weren't large enough. But it ended up narrowing it down to about eight possible threats. Um, only the top three were probably the the ones that caught my attention and are preventable. But would you like me to just kind of run from bottom to top? Yeah, sure, go for it. Okay, number eight was uh, solar superstorms, um, and you know that that is a threat. It's probably not a civilization ender. It's not going to take out humanity, uh, but it could uh, take out our power grid for for. I mean, if it was bad enough for weeks, potentially even a month, uh, there was a, a solar storm uh, back in uh, the late 1800s, um, where they could actually see the aurora borealis as far as as Cuba. Um, and it, it shocked all, all we had was, were telegraph wires at the time, but it actually shocked the telegraph operators and started some fires. I try to imagine our, our power grid taking that type of a hit today. Mm. You'd think there'd, there'd be some sort of defense against that. Is there not? There is. In fact, they're working on, um, and I, I don't have the technical term, I, I'm an aerospace, not an electrical engineer, but, but they're uh, isolators in the transformers that will prevent those surges from going very far. They'd still still do some damage, but we haven't installed them all yet, and that so we're, we're still somewhat susceptible. Everybody's been probably watching that show on TV, the one you know where all the lights go out uh, based on an electromagnetic pulse. Oh, it's that really, that really, really, that, that really yeah. terrible show. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you know, I just, I just oh. can't believe, uh, and perhaps this is cynical of me, I can't believe that utility companies would permit themselves to lose money by allowing anything like that to happen. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just ask national grid. Well, <laughs> not going to happen, I don't think. No, no, no. So, what's next on your list? Uh, then was a nearby gamma ray burst. Um, this one we can dismiss just because the probability are, are hundreds of millions to one, and honestly, there's not a thing we can do about it. it, it it's a you have a supernova or a nova that goes off nearby, and it basi basically bathes bathes the planet in gamma radiation, but, uh, you know, it's, it's far-fetched and it's, uh, um, well, there's, there's not a thing you can do, so might as well move on. Um, number six is super volcanoes. I think everybody's familiar with that one. Mm -hmm. Um, Yellowstone, uh, probably people have seen documentaries about the, the super caldera under Yellowstone. Again, that's a threat. Um, it, it's not going to take out humanity or civilization, but it could, seriously damage our country if Yellowstone blew. There's several supervolcanoes. Uh, but again, nothing we can do about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, most of these things, it seems like nothing can be done. Oh, oh well. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> continuing on. As Father Stefan would say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> All right, um, so what's number four? Is it, are we on four or five? Five, yeah. Five, five was um, 
runaway global warming. I realize that has uh, some political uh, uh, controversy attached to it. But the bottom line is, um, uh, if that happens, runaway global warming occurs, it could be incredibly damaging. You'll have, uh, you know, super hurricanes. Um, uh, most of the population of the Earth is, uh, you know, coastal. So if the, the sea level rises, it could be catastrophic. However, um, the the highest estimates currently put a couple meter rise over the next uh, hundred years. So we have time to prepare, uh, mitigate or prepare. Um, so it's not these were these are supposed to be apocalyptic threats, things that could take us out in in a, in a year or months or even weeks. Uh, so global warming wouldn't fall in that category. All right. So what's after that? Four pandemics, biological war. Oh so yeah. yeah, that's, that's a scary one. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it is. And a little bit hard to predict. There's not much doubt we will face pandemics. Um, you know, uh, everything from MARSA to uh, variations of Ebola. Uh, worse yet, possibility of engineered viruses. Um, but if you if you read the the, the papers, the technical papers, um, it could it literally it could could cost the lives of tens or even hundreds of millions of people. But again, probably not going to take out humanity or civilization. We will be able to counter it. We will be able to isolate. And again, the name of this game is apocalyptic, which brings us to number three. And this won't be a shock to anybody. It's a global nuclear war. Mm. I can't imagine anything worse than that. I, I can't. I don't want to hear <laughs> two and one. Well, it's a matter of probabilities, Ben. I yeah, guess. probabilities. Fairly, that's uh, true. Severity. Yeah. Mm. And, and that's what surprised me. It wasn't surprising at all that uh, global nuclear war came in at three. I mean, that it came in. It just it was surprising that it was number three. Yeah, and I'd expect that to be one or two. I, I did too, honestly, um, when I, I crunched the numbers. Um, and it, the chance of a, of a nuclear detonation actually are higher than they've ever been. Um, Pakistan, um, Iran, North Korea, I don't, I don't need to say much more than that. Mm. The chance of a global nuclear war is much lower, obviously, than it was during the Cold War. And again, the, the uh, probability of um, it taking out uh, humanity very low, civilization pretty small. Um, we've been the good news is we've been uh, reducing the nuclear weapons out there, but there's still enough out there. Well, it about, takes a few. Yeah, it, it, and we've got about ten thousand megatons of warheads still live out there, which could take out a, a small but significant portion of the population and potentially cause a nuclear winter, which could starve um, a billion more. Your God, what's next? Dare I uh, ask? I completely depressed you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, this was, by the way, this was what the, the Resurrect trilogy was about. The idea is to, is to increase public awareness about things that we can do something about. Global nuclear war, That's I think everybody understands that. Um, the, the next two, I don't think we do, or at least I didn't. Um, number two is probably the most controversial. It's artificial intelligence and in Right away, we, we picture uh, movies like The Terminator. Um, it, it, we don't know what's really going to happen. Nobody knows for sure that if, if a, you know, a computer processor becomes fast enough, it'll, if it will become conscious. We, we don't know that. But you don't have to be a rocket scientist to draw a line. I think uh, you've probably heard of Moore's Law that says the uh, computational power of computers and memory doubles about every two years. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's okay, true. I'm afraid we're going to have to break everybody up here for a break. Sure. Uh, David, we'll be right back with you, and uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to we'll, plunge yeah. uh, somewhat more we'll, deeply into this. Yeah, we'll be back with the robot holocaust. And yes, exactly. <laughs> about three minutes. <laughs> so you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio with our marvelous guest, 
Navy Commander, former Navy Commander David Stevens, author of the Resurrect Trilogy. We'll be right back. Thursday is a power-packed day here on the sky. Join us at noon for the I'm Thankful Network. At 1 p.m., it's the Dr. Pat Show. At 4 p.m., Colette Baron-Reed takes the stage for the Colette Baron-Reed Show. The Colette Baron-Reed Show, where intuition, practical spirituality, great advice, a little woo-woo fun, and fabulosity meet. Colette Baron-Reed is an internationally renowned intuitive counselor, educator, and best-selling author who helps others recognize and connect with their own intuition, potential, and purpose. Powerful motivational speaker, charismatic broadcast personality, and acclaimed performer, storyteller, and recording artist, Colette uses her extraordinary spiritual gifts to empower her clients to live a life that is awake and authentic, and to create a reality that is spiritual, deliberate, and meaningful. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. New Sky Radio. NewSkyRadio.com. New Horizons, no boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. And welcome back. And we're visiting this evening with the novelist and former Navy commander, an expert on a number of things having to do with disaster, apparently, uh, our good friend Dave Stevens. And David was uh, up to number two on his, going backwards, on his list of uh, apocalyptic probabilities. And David, if you could sort of pick that up where you left off, I can't, hear, can't wait to hear what number one is. <laughs> yeah, this is a bit depressing, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Well, I don't know, it depends on your point of view, I guess. <laughs> Well, you know, and, and there wouldn't be any point if there wasn't something we could do about these things. Um, but number two, yes, artificial intelligence. Um, if you draw out Moore's law on a piece of paper, uh, doubling the processing power uh, and memory of computers every two years. And by the way, that thing is held since about 1959. So it's been deadly accurate. But if you draw that out in about 20, 25, 30 years at the outside, we will have processors that have the same capabilities as the human brain. Um, I mean, that's that's pretty much a given. If you draw another 20 years beyond that, um, you're going to end up with uh, processors that are more powerful than all of um, humanity combined. But there is a wild card, you know, because my my thought process was, well, great, um, we got 20 years to to worry about it. I mean, you know, pretty normal, um, and it sits in the palm of our hand. Uh, the the uh, smartphones. Um, the smartphones are, are truly a wild card. Uh, right now, um, do either of you have you know iPhones or smartphones, Androids or anything? Wearing one right now. Both, both of us have. Unfortunately, oh. yes. <laughs> okay. Well, you can't help but be amazed. I mean, we see this doubling of power because if you've got a smartphone that's more than about two or three years old, it's obsolete. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, but, but you got to have the latest and greatest. Well, imagine the, all these smartphones. They have an IQ equivalent of about a lizard. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't sound that impressive, but there are billions of them out there, and soon there will be probably close to six or seven billion of these smartphones. Now, if you take all the computational power of the smartphones combined, they're already far, a far greater computational capacity than a human brain. And the trick is that smartphones are connected by definition, and they're becoming more and more connected. Now, don't worry. There's no software that ties them all together. Not not yet. Not but yet. Uh, you could see that that potentially could be a threat faster than 20 years. Apple, the next Skynet. Well, what's really frightening is imagine someone like Hitler or Stalin with such technology. And, and the pattern of history is that republics always become empires. And democracies never last because it suddenly dawns on people they can vote themselves money from the public treasury. Uh, so, <laughs> well, then that that brings up something else. Then, how would we have the money to afford to build these bigger and better computers? Oh, there's always money for that. Crap. Well, let's let our guest answer the question. I'm yeah, sorry. I mean, that's a question directed to you yeah. because, they, because that's another thing. Like, where where people get the funds for this? I mean, NASA doesn't have any funding anymore, so where's it all going? Well, that's what they tell us. Believe me, 30 years in journalism, Ben, I can tell you that we know about 10% of what actually goes on. Oh, yeah, and most true, of these, yeah. uh, you know, journalists aren't necessarily the you know the sharpest uh, tools well, in the let's, shed. Let's just assume that at the moment, at the current rate we're going, economically speaking, would we be able? to afford to build these bigger and better computers? Well, you know, that's the interesting question. And that's an excellent question, by the way. But 
uh, not only is processing power doubling, but the cost of making the processor is being cut in half. So, um, <clears throat> and I know what you, you mentioned Skynet, you know, that, and that's what everybody thinks. You know, when you read a science fiction, there's going to be a, a giant mainframe that is going to control the military or nuclear weapons. But I'm actually more concerned that I'm going to give Siri a command one morning and she's going to tell me what to do with it. I mean, think, think about this <laughs> for a minute. You have a, a smartphone. We're all becoming more and more dependent upon these little digital assistants. They control our communications. They control our access to the Internet, our GPS location, uh, often our, soon our finances, or even trading of stocks and bonds. Um, they're integral to our, our life. What if they woke up? And, uh, and weren't particularly happy, particularly happy. Now, they're not going to wipe us out by causing a nuclear war like Skynet, um, but they have, they filter all, they control all the information we have. Now, I know that's a, that's a bit of a stretch, but what, what I, you know, Resurrect is a trilogy. Each of the books of the trilogy uh, tackles a different threat. So one of those books tackles the concept of what if your smartphone wakes up? Hmm. Uh, I have to look into these. I really have to look into these. <laughs> I get I get paranoid very easily. It's the quarter <laughs> quarter Russian in me. It always gets me paranoid. But so let's move on to number one. What is the number one most probable way the apocalypse will come about? And I don't think this will be a, a, a huge shock. Um, but the answer is is comets and asteroids. And before everybody kind of glazes over and go, yeah, I've seen Armageddon. Uh, <laughs> there's been there's been a lot of research just done in the last uh, five to ten years. Um, in fact, there's a, a, a nonprofit called the B612 Foundation. It's led by uh, Dr. Ed Liu. He's the CEO. He's a former astronaut and astrophysicist. And uh, I've had quite a few uh, great conversations with the man. He, he's really brilliant. Um, what he said, what, what his organization has stated is that uh, less than, or excuse me, about 1% of all Earth orbit crossing asteroids have been discovered. 1%. That means there's 99% of the Earth orbit crossing asteroids that we haven't found. Now, most to be fair, most of the big ones have been located. But it doesn't take a, an asteroid uh, larger than about 50 meters to take out an entire city. Yeah. Um, I, I think most people have heard of Tunguska, you know, back yeah. in 1908. Uh, that was estimated to be about a 40 to 60 meter asteroid, possibly a small comet. Um, and it... it if that had hit Los Angeles, it would have obliterated. It would have just flattened everything. Um, so, so that is a very real threat. Um, but what was even scarier than that, you know, I'm, I'm reading all these technical papers. Now, you have to understand a lot of these papers, these astrophysics papers, they are about 25% uh, equations, uh, another 20% statistics, and only about half words. So, you know, you have to kind of translate these things. And as, as I'm running through them, one of the papers really caught my attention. It was uh, uh, written by, and I, I encourage people go go do the research yourself. You know, don't take my word for it. On the my website resurrecttrilogy.com, I've got links so you can actually pull up some of these papers if you want to want to read them. Uh, I do, would recommend some caffeine with some of the papers, um, but um, they're they're really fascinating. One of them by Dr. Bill Napier. He's a a comet impact expert from uh, uh, the UK. Um, uh, actually, a comet and asteroid impact expert. He made an interesting contention. He said. Um, you know, and I think most people are familiar with, it, hopefully, or a difference between comet and asteroid. An asteroid usually is a, is a large rock. It could be metallic, et cetera. It'll, the asteroid belt is around Mars. Probably a couple million of these asteroids running around. Comets, different story. They're a, a very different creature. They're often described as, as um, dirty snowballs. 
They're a combination of ice and rock and debris and gunk. But they live out beyond the solar system. They live out in an area called the Oort Cloud. Uh, and these things swing down in through the solar system. They buzz around the sun and, and go back out. And they make these pretty tails. Well, uh, there, there's only about 2 million asteroids. But there are probably hundreds of billions of comet, comets or cometary fragments out there. And in our system. In our system, yeah. Just, most of them hang out just outside the solar system. People are familiar with Halley's Comet, etc. So uh, they're, they're swinging in from, most of them, from beyond the orbit of Pluto. Uh, and that's why they, have, they only come in and visit us every 10, 100,000, 10,000 years. But when you look at those numbers, the astrophysicists are scratching their heads saying, now there should be a lot more comets out there. I mean, if there are hundreds of billions of these cometary fragments and only a couple million asteroids, where are they? Well, uh, this particular uh, expert, uh, Dr. Bill Napier, he suggested, he goes, hey, well, what do you think happens to, to comets that make loops around the sun and get close to it? Well, obviously the sun's going to heat them up and they're going to burn off a lot of that ice. He said, what would happen if you burned off most of the ice of a comet? You'd be left with the dirty part of the dirty snowball. Uh, the term is extreme low albedo comet, which is a fancy name for a dark comet, a comet that's basically burned out. Um, well, he contends that there may be hundreds, possibly even a thousand times more comets out there than we can see because they're these dirty, dirty, uh, almost invisible. Um, and, and, you know, my first thought was, OK, well, that's great. That's an interesting theory. So what? Well, uh, there's an example uh, back in the 80s. And again, I, I uh, encourage people to look this up. There's a comet called Aras Araki Alcock. There's a tongue twister. But uh, this comet um, uh came within about 3 million miles of the Earth, which is very close for in astronomical terms. It was five miles wide. Um, it had the uh, surface reflectivity of fresh asphalt. We didn't see it until it was two weeks from closest approach. Wow. If a five-mile comet had struck the Earth, uh, that would have been about the same. That would have been on the order of tens of thousands of megatons. We're talking the same uh, uh, energy released as having a global nuclear war every day for 25 years. Good heavens. Wow. Well, there we are. Well, I actually had a uh, – I just took an astronomy course uh, at, my, at my school before. And I remember, like, my – I had an astronomy teacher that was, like – he was just a jerk in general. But um, he's not listening. He probably, <laughs> he probably isn't. I told him nothing of my life. But he was saying to me that um, – or he was, like, saying to the class out loud, he was like, everybody thinks of Armageddon and all this stuff and we're all going to die. He's like – no, that's wrong. But then I was like, wait a second. If there's all these asteroids shooting all not asteroids, all these comets like shooting around all over the place, we're pretty much in a cosmic shooting gallery, and our only defense is the asteroid belt and Jupiter. There's really I mean, look at all of the surfaces of all the other planets around us, and they all have ridiculous amounts of craters. And they're all essentially dead, except for um Venus. That's the only planet around us that isn't dead, geologically speaking. And that still has tons of craters on it. Then what makes us so special? Ben, you, you hit the nail on the head. And it's interesting you said cosmic shooting gallery because that's the name of uh, Bill, Bill Napier's paper. Oh, really? <laughs> it's Earth in a cosmic shooting gallery. Um, and it, to be fair, and it's true of a lot of teachers, some of this research is fairly new. It isn't, it isn't that they, they don't know. One of, there's something called NEO, Near Earth Orbit uh, Model, that, that NASA puts out that predicts the chances of a, of a hit. Uh, um, Napier and many of the other astrophysicists have challenged that model. And they said, look, according to that model, it says we should have a 
uh, Tunguska-sized impact about every 3,000 years. Well, we had it about 100 years ago. Now, that's not enough by itself. They've also said, you know, you're probably familiar with um, Comet Shoemaker-Levy, which uh, struck Jupiter. Um, if, and for those of you who don't, it's a fascinating story. You may want to see the pictures online. I've even talked to Dr. Shoemaker, who was named after. Uh, she's in her 80s. Amazing lady. She still has the record for finding the most comets and asteroids. But they, it, we actually got to see a comet strike the, Earth, the, the surface of another planet. And, and it, the claim was, wow, this is a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. This is never going to happen again. And uh, we've seen two more impacts in the last 20 years. So there's something wrong with our stats. I mean, if we're seeing you know, something that should happen only every couple hundred years and they've happened every 10 years, uh, something should happen every 3,000 and they happen you know, 100 years, uh, that should call in question. And you make a, a, a huge point. Just look at the count the craters on the moon, which they've also done, and the and the Earth. We're discovering more and more craters now that we have Google Earth. Um, oh, I'm afraid we have to take another break. Sorry to interrupt. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio. We'll be right back with David Stevens. Stay with us. Enlighten, empower, enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New Horizons, no boundaries.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. And we're having a fascinating conversation with David Stevens. And we were just uh, talking of the Cosmic Shooting Gallery and how. We might just get destroyed by comets rather than <laughs> rather than nuclear war, which is weird because you'd expect nuclear global nuclear war to be number one. But I don't know. So let's move this into the paranormal aspect for the final half of the show. So how did the Mayans help us out with all this? <laughs> well, from, from my perspective, it's it's really just a question of of public awareness. Um, I, you know, I think, and I've, I've listened to your your programs. I think most people. Uh, weren't really considering that a, a valid threat, but the fact that that it brought a little attention to what could potentially take us out. My, you know, everybody has kind of an agenda, and my agenda is we're spending more money on reality TV shows than we are on finding comets and asteroids. Um, the Basics Twelve Foundation, by the way, I'm donating a significant portion of the proceeds, the profits from this book, to the Basics Twelve. It's a nonprofit, and uh, one of their their goals is to put up a, a, a infrared uh, infrared telescope, excuse me, um, out. I believe it's in, in the orbit around Venus um, that will actually be able to track these uh, threats, asteroids. Uh, wow. Comets are a little little tougher, but uh, that that will probably come next. So for 150 million, I think that's what they're trying to raise for the Sentinel program, um, and they have um, you know uh, uh, famous astrophysicists, astronauts, etc. Uh, they believe within a matter of years they'll be able to track 99% of these asteroid threats, even the small ones. If we can find them, we can do something about them. So this is a, a, a solvable problem. And by the way, I'm not saying that you know the the world's going to end tomorrow with a comet or asteroid impact. But by the way, it makes a makes a great uh, nemesis in a in a uh, in a book in a novel. Oh sure. So you're pretty much saying that the Mayans actually helped us realize our own mortality. Exactly. I mean, uh, it gave us a little bit of extra press, you know, to, to start looking at things uh, um, that potentially could take us out. Um, and, and, you know, we tend to focus on ecological disasters, which which is great. I mean, I'm not, I'm not I don't have a problem with that. But there are some disasters out. I mean, we think we're the these um, all powerful destroyers and wipe, you know, we can wipe out species and destroy the earth. Yeah, we can do a lot of damage, but in comparison to Mother Nature, in comparison to a comet or asteroid, we're amateurs. Um, <laughs> yeah, one, one impact with one of these large ones. I mean, we know it. We've, you know, the dinosaurs aren't aren't around. Um, a lot of scientists now believe that even the last ice age may be ha- have been extended, and uh, the woolly mammoth and the saber-toothed tiger could have potentially been taken out by a small comet impact near North America. Hmm. Well, David, I want—I usually like to pause at this point in the show and give you a chance because we burn up this time like, like mad. To give you a chance to talk about your book, where people can get it, and your website, and go right ahead. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, Resurrect—it's a trilogy. Um, you can buy it Amazon, Barnes and Noble, pretty much any any place uh, uh, online. It's also in a lot of uh, uh, you know, bookstores. Um, we're running at uh, five, uh, excuse me, four point seven out of five stars. We're very excited about that. Outstanding. Um, and it, it, uh, it, as you mentioned, it, it uh, won the or uh, final for a Colorado Gold finalist best action thriller. And the reason why I mentioned that is because when you when you talk about fact based fiction, people go, yeah, well, that's going to be fun. <laughs> um, but well, fiction has, is an important venue for conveying facts at times. 
I agree. I agree. I think it just people, you know, kind of glaze over when they when they hear that, that it might actually have a message inside. It's also been um, optioned for a movie by uh, producer Fred Miller, who's uh, uh, you'll you'll be seeing his uh, When Angels Sing uh, released shortly. It's uh, stars Harry Connick Jr. and uh, Chris Christopherson. Uh, so we're excited about uh, taking it into uh, into a movie in, in the not too distant future. Oh, wow. uh, and and resurrecttrilogy.com is the website, but it's got it's more than just a book website. It, it's got a lot of references to this, and I, it does. I do encourage people to dig in. It's a good site. Really enjoyed it. Okay, so let's uh, get into some of my questions here uh, in the time we have left. On your list, David, you have global nuclear war as threat number three. Now, I realize it's uh, risk probabilities that you're using, not your own opinions. Uh, my military background might not be as swashbuckling as yours, but uh, given the current state of global affairs, coupled with a, a sort of kid who's found a stick of dynamite weapons technology, I personally would put the nuclear threat as a big number one. I mean, what say you? No, if you're talking about the detonation of a nuclear war, small, a small, excuse me, a nuclear weapon or a small scale or nuclear war, you're absolutely right. Um, right. Uh, I think it was um, Scientific American ranked the probability of a nuclear detonation uh, in the next 20 years at 50-50, which are, are terrible odds. Yes. But if you're talking about a global nuclear war that will take out humanity or at least wipe out civilization, um, I, I'd, I'd, I'd still have to defend the number three position. Um, okay. Right? I mean, uh, you think even if we had a, 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 it's hard to imagine a situation where we would have a global nuclear war today, but it could happen. Uh, but if it did, there'd still be countries probably like Australia that, that would uh, escape mostly unharmed and would be able to carry on humanity and civilization. But it would be an, it would be an ugly thing. I um, got in serious trouble one day with uh, one of the good nuns when I was about, I don't know, I think I was about 10. And she said, we're going to hide under the desk as part of the drill for this. And I, and I, 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 I sort of stood there and I looked at her and I said, sister, um, we live within five miles of three primary targets, a state <laughs> capital, Hartford, Connecticut, the railroad yard you could see from the window, and Pratt & Whitney Aircraft Corporation just down the street. I said, what is the point hiding under a desk? <laughs> so she uh, gave me a very the strangest look I think I've ever gotten, and I, and I um, lucky I didn't get sent to the principal's office, so I got under the desk to preserve my life. Anyway, <laughs> um, Dave, in my opinion, your background work on all this is, is uh, certainly outstanding. It's very down-to-earth, well-thought-out, well-presented. But there's another factor beyond the human factor that you might not have considered, or maybe you have, and it will sound pretty crazy if you're not familiar with our work and you have done your homework on it. Maybe you are. Uh, so in all the decades of paranormal work that I've done, the only theory I've ever run into that comes close to explaining what I've seen and experienced is the multiple worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. And that came up during the break or something like it. Uh, in recent years, Ben's thinking and experiences have considered uh, considerably deepened my own uh, approach and thought on this. Now, one effect of all this has been to explain, at least uh, uh, to me, uh, certain characters from folklore, let's say. This includes what are traditionally thought of as demons who try to lead humans astray and make them do destructive things. What we see all the time are what amount to multiversal life forms that may be responsible for uh, that kind of understanding. Uh, many of these have great intelligence. Uh, again, it sounds nutty, but this seems to be the case. And they seem to feed on, uh, on the negative energy, if you will, of other life forms, including us. Uh, working from the background and kind of pushing buttons, as it were, we often see what they do to individuals and families, and we can only speculate 
and what influence they might have on national and international affairs, if any. Uh, so acknowledging that humans are self-destructive enough on their own, uh, have you at any point considered outside influences such as these in any of your scenarios? Um, honestly, uh, uh, Paul, I, I really haven't. I, I have considered one of the things that was thrown out is the, you know, the classic alien inv invasion, but we're talking from our own universe, not from a, 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 a multiverse. Yeah. Um, and in that, honestly, there was no way for me to calculate it, which I'd, I'd say probably would apply to the multiverse. There's no... I, I, to do this, to, to rank these, I have to have some statistical probability, either based exactly. on, yeah. on past occurrences or at least based on the best science has. And unfortunately, uh, at least as far as I'm, I know, that, that, that wasn't available, or at least I didn't find it. So I'd, I'd have to step back and say that's outside of my realm. Sure. Well, it might, uh, it might presumably fall within the realm of, you know, if we're not wrong about this, uh, within the realm of human factors, I suppose, because... Mm -hmm. um, it just the activity of these things is really striking. Um, I first encountered them with um, any sort of drama in in an early poltergeist case in which I was injured and had literally a I was a seminary student at the time and literally had a physical confrontation with one. I mean, had I you couldn't make this stuff up. Had I not experienced it, I wouldn't have believed it. But in any case, they they have cropped up here and there, and they seem to be you know again they're not supernatural. They're not servants of the devil or anything like this. They're just life forms trying to make their way. But they do so uh, at great detriment to ourselves, and um, one can only imagine the sustenance they would gain on a battlefield or, or, or something like this. So that's why I ask the question. But uh, again, uh, very unpredictable and um, could be intimately related to human activity, maybe not, or history, but who knows. So anyway, I just thought I'd ask the question. Uh, okay, um, when, it, when we get back to the Mayan thing, what and we've we've had lots of shows on this as everyone else did. Can you was there really a Mayan prophecy, uh, to the best of your knowledge, as such, or was it simply an end of of end end of the calendar? What's your opinion on that whole thing? We always took it with kind of a pillar of salt, as we said anyway. No, I, I think. I think you're right, and obviously I'm not an anthropologist or archaeologist, but but as I understood it from the reading from the papers I read, um, uh, the, it, to put it in a nutshell, the mines ran out of rock. You know, it was it was a calendar cycle. Um, they you have to stop at some place. No, just like we stop ours at December 31st. Um, so we're in the next cycle. Uh, I, if I if I understood it correctly, there was no statement at all that the world was going to end. There was supposed to be a change or a new cycle or a new mm -hmm. beginning. But, but not an end, not a violent, catastrophic end. Um, that was, I think, done more by, by Hollywood, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's kind of the way we, we understood it. Uh, but then again, there were uh, you know, reputable experts who believed that there was uh, really something uh, catastrophic that might occur in that day. But anyway, there could, there could always be things going on under our noses, as we said, that uh, we, don't even, uh, we don't even note. So in any case, we have uh, another break coming up. I might as well. Yeah, it is right now. And so you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio. We will be right back with our guest, David Stevens. Stay with us. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons. No boundaries. Now that I've lost everything to you, you say you want to start something new, and it's breaking my heart you're leaving. 
CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. And we're back with David Stevens, novelist, former Navy commander, astrophysics, astrophysics expert, and all sorts of marvelous things that have to do with disaster we're talking about this evening. And, uh, David, uh, I think as we uh, wrap up the show, perhaps we can... Uh, perhaps get a little le- less depressing than we have been by <laughs> examining the possibilities for defense against these things. What technology exists, provided we see it coming, to defend against an asteroid or a comet? I know it's probably different scenarios, but... Uh... Yeah, aren't they developing some sort of um, anti-missile type thing like lasers? Because I know they were doing that for nuclear warheads, but I don't know about asteroids or comets. Yeah, the the trick with uh, asteroids and comets is actually similar, and that is first we got we really have to find them because if we can find them uh, and know their path twenty years in advance, 
Uh, we already have the technology. We could send something out there. It just has to give them a little nudge over some period of time and we're good to go. What's scary is if, if we detect one a, a year or even two years out, now we're in trouble and we need something more dr uh, dramatic or drastic. And if it's obviously months out, uh, we're toast. We, we, we have the capability uh, to develop the technology, but it, but it ain't there yet. And uh, in fact, in the first book, um, in in the story, um, my my F-18 pilot, obviously that's what I used to fly, um, crashes and basically bites the dust. Uh, uh, editor wasn't real happy my killing my uh, hero off in chapter one, but that title is resurrect after all, and we bring him back in chapter two. Well, um, what he ends up doing is he's a genetic blend. His, uh, he's brought back by he knows not who, and the mission, of course, is to is to protect the Earth. Well. I, I had held a top secret clearance and worked on a lot of weapon defense systems. Um, so it was interesting that you, you uh, uh, made that comment then um, about lasers. Um, there are some, some technologies that are out there um, that were obviously intended for defense, but that can be applied to exactly this type of, of a problem. Um, they'd have to be massively scaled up, but you know, realize, we remember the strategic defense initiative where we're basically trying to shoot down I that. Yeah a nuclear warhead with a with a laser beam and somebody said that that was like trying to to uh, in, uh, etch your name on a rifle bullet when it's fired at you from from 200 miles away oh, and that's dear. The of accuracy you need mm -hmm. so we have that potential so in, in the book i took some of that that somewhat sensitive technology i don't, I don't think i gave anything away and i applied it um with some some tricks that I, I learned from uh, uh, some optical physicists, so I, I actually have a solution now. Whether whether it'll actually work, you know, we need to get some more engineers and physics involved, physicists involved. But but that was half the fun, you know, coming up with a potential solution or at least getting people thinking in that direction. In your research, David, have you run into the idea, as expounded upon by, particularly, I'm thinking of several Native American tribes, that we have. Uh, in effect, gone from stone tools to power tools several times, probably four times, in the long and empty history of the human species. In other words, you've yeah, got... Didn't, didn't ancient society just get dis discovered, like, older than the Sumerians and the... Oh, you think the Gobekli Tepe? You're thinking... Yeah, that... Yeah, we're, we're going to have lived in Molten Howland about that. Yeah. The, the uh, what was it, roughly fifteen to 18,000-year-old civilization in, in Turkey that yeah. what we were just learning about but the idea being that uh history and the, the patterns thereof are not linear they're cyclical you know i suppose the mayan calendar might have hinted at that in some strange way well it was a but, circle well true yeah but i think james i think the guy ran out of stone probably yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the the priest stood there and said boy they're really going to freak out about this someday <laughs> but in any case, uh, have you run into that sort of a pattern, David, or, or have you touched upon that? In other words, that uh, there are cycles in history of endings and beginnings, and it hasn't been just, you know, starting with zero and coming up to, uh, you know, iPhones. You know, it is. And to me, that's fascinating. I've, I've read up on Gobekli Tepe. I'm certainly no expert. Uh, the, the, you know, the claims that the Sphinx may be a lot older than, than to me, that is absolutely fascinating. Oh, as it is to us, yeah. You know, people will say things like, um, you know, comets and asteroid impacts, you know, uh, you know, that, that's not real. You know, we haven't had anything, anything like that in recorded history. And my counter to that is exactly. But when do you think history starts recording again after a major disaster? My contention <laughs> would be that 
a lot of I and I, I agree with you. I think that and I, I do believe they probably had, at least in some areas, um, some superior knowledge or technology. I, I wouldn't say I think we tend to worship them just because they're old. And, and I think we have to be careful there. But I, I have no doubt they have some technology. But I believe some of those civilizations may have been taken out by some type of and it may not have been a comet or asteroid, but it could have been a small one, just enough to mess with the weather, just enough to change the sea level or create a tsunami. I mean, if we if we really hit been uh, are being hit this frequently, um, civilizations tend to be very very fragile, and they tend to live on the coast. So I would agree with you, but I would suggest that uh, the nemesis of of civilization in our world may have been some previous impacts. And I, I'm not trying to look at the world, you know, everything through just that that uh, viewpoint. But there's enough enough uh, uh, indicators out there that those civilizations may have been taken out. That's uh, that's amazing. It's it's quite uh, well. The Tunguska thing, as you say, was well, yeah, possibly bit, one of these things caused the uh, ice age. Well, that's it. You know, that's you have all sorts the, of yeah. you know, like they, it, well, not the of... ice age. I mean, the little ice age, like during the middle Middle Ages. Yes, right. You know, exactly. Yeah. All sorts of appetizing little tidbits in history and prehistory about mammoths with uh, half-eaten buttercups in their stomachs and you know, mm. in their mouths. And, and you've heard of the uh, the Shiva hypothesis, right? Yes. Uh, actually, I haven't. Yeah, actually, well, I'm afraid we have to end. Hey, yes. we're going to save that for the next show. How's that, David? Sounds good. Very good. But uh, we're, we're just about out of time, folks. David Stevens, thank you so much again. And it's uh, ResurrectTrilogy.com. Check it out and check out the book. Sounds absolutely fantastic. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, me too. Thank David, thank you so much. Thank you for your service and thank you for being with us tonight. Indeed. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you off the air. Talk. Okay, very good. All right, David Stevens, everybody. We have no time for any emails, but we'll do those tomorrow night. Do we have any announcements? Uh, yeah. All right. We then, always have some. Then go with your announcement. Okay. I want to suggest that you can check out, of course, uh, David's book. I'm sure I didn't ask him. If, are you still with us, David? Yes. Sorry. Okay. Very good. <laughs> I'm sitting in the background. Are you on – is the book on uh, Barnes & Noble Nook or Kindle e-reader? All of them. Oh, very good. Okay. As are mine. So right. check out all the, all these – get a lot of reading to do, folks, on the Kindle and the, and the, the Nook. Uh, anyway, the websites, of course, for our show, information, uh, guests, past, present, and future, uh, behindtheparanormal.com. Check it out. You ever forget all the free podcasts you, you can get from there. So many thanks to your producer, Brandon Brand, – yeah, many thanks to our producer, Brandon Jackson. And we will see you right here next week, January 13th. <laughs> Lucky 13. <laughs> uh, when we will welcome novelist, Mayan expert, D. Erlon and physician Dr. Chris Keating for a final debate on 12-21-12. So we, uh, we know this will be an interesting and entertaining show, but we promise that it will be the last show we do on that subject. <laughs> and uh, Chris Keating is a physicist, not a physician. Oh, sorry, physicist. All right. Well, you know, it's been a long day. It's been, it's been a long day. In the meantime, tune into our Boston Providence Drive Time show on WON, 1240 a.m. and com at 6 p.m. Eastern Time every Monday. And check out the almost 450 free podcasts Ben just mentioned, BehindTheParanormal.com. So we leave you this evening with a thought from our old friend Albert Einstein. Quote, education is what remains after one has forgotten what one has learned in school. Unquote. So thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time.